I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female, where every week I speak with women changemakers who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. In this episode, you'll hear my conversation with Nikki Sanchez, a Canadian Indigenous advocate who has made it her mission to raise awareness for the climate crisis and who does so by addressing how environment conservation intersects with decolonization as well as racial and gender inclusivity. Nikki holds a master's degree in Indigenous governance and she's pursuing a PhD with research that's focused on Indigenous ontology. She was crowned the Queen of Green by the David Suzuki Foundation, and you will hear her explain what's wrong with that title. She was part of the team behind Viceland's series Rise, focused on global Indigenous resurgence. She's a TEDx speaker, she's been an environmental educator for over 10 years, and she set up a collective of Indigenous women who offer decolonial and inclusivity workshops. Nikki also contributes to various publications on topics ranging from sustainability, gender bias, and more. Here is our conversation. Nikki, it's such a pleasure speaking with you on The Brand is Female today. I'm so happy you could find time to join me. And the first question I like to ask is um, always to, uh, you know, we'll go back in time a little bit. And growing up, what did you think you'd be doing later in life? What was kind of, of you know, a calling for you, something you, you'd picture yourself wanting to do later as a career? Thank you, Eva. It's really an honor to be here. Um, I'm a fan of this podcast, so really, truly delighted to be in conversation with you today. Yeah, I had a pretty unconventional childhood, and um, there was not a lot of stability um, and social justice um, and issues of um, the impacts of colonization and the need for decolonization was always a a central um, shaping force in my reality, even, you know, from my earliest memories. So I always really thought in terms of justice and liberation um, from the time I was really young. When I was 13, I was the youngest person to go to the United Nations on behalf of the Canadian government um, to speak about the United Nations Conventions of the Rights of the Child. Um, and that began kind of my more you know, external explicit career working um, in issues of, of human rights and social justice. But for as long as I can remember, um, there's felt like there's been a lot of urgency uh, to work on these issues. So I feel really honored at this point in my life, in my early 30s, to actually be able to both do this work and pay my rent with it. Um, although it's always, you know, it's a hassle. Um, <laughs> but I never, I never thought I would see that day. So I feel really grateful for that. Mm, that and it's so great that um, I mean, very impressive that at, at 13 and you already had kind of that advocacy, um, you know, desire and, and uh, you know, goal in, in, in what you were doing, that, and that's great. And you've continued on that path, which is even even uh, more impressive. I and, had a few um, detours in teenage life, but <laughs> definitely come back to the path. <laughs> and I'm curious to know who were your role models along the way? And, you know, was there someone in particular, maybe it was a, it was multiple people who inspired you? And I'm curious to know if any of them, uh, if there were any, any women role models specifically uh, that kind of, you know, provided inspiration for you on that journey. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, my original role model is my mother. Um, my mom is a tireless and eternal um, advocate for human rights and environmental justice. And she raised me as a single parent um, under really challenging circumstances and has never, I look at her and her levels of, you know, integrity, optimism, and kindness um, for everyone that she meets just really move me and inspire me. And I look at the things that she's done in her life, what she's accomplished as a full-time single mother, and I'm constantly humbled and moved. Um, so I really, you know, she has been um, someone I looked up to ever since I can remember and definitely has um, set a blueprint for really operating as though um, any limitations that exist because of patriarchy and societal inequities um, are, you know, they might be little stumbling blocks, but they should never stop you. Mm, and that's beautiful. Yeah. And um, I, you know, knowing that we're now, it, it's kind of hard to avoid bringing this up in any, any type of serious conversation, especially when we're talking about women issues. After this 14 months or how, however long it's been, I'd love to get your thoughts on what do you think, what's the status for women specifically? And I bring that up because we've heard talks of you know, what experts are referring to as the she session. And we know women have been affected specifically in terms of job loss, responsibilities around childcare, domestic violence has been on the rise. There's health inequities that target women and children specifically. Um, and then I also want to ask you, what does that mean for indigenous women specifically? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I am breathing that big sigh just as a collective um, recognition, you know, of how hard this year has been for everyone. Um, and I really, I've been really diving deeply into my wells of compassion, um, you know, for myself, which is often hard to access, as well as just for everyone in my life and um, all human beings on earth right now. This has been a profoundly challenging time that has tested um, all of us and um, you know I, whenever I think about COVID I really want to acknowledge that you know hundreds of thousands of lives have been lost um, there's so many people collectively in mourning right now and I never want to be glib you know about the impacts of this pandemic because it has not impacted people equally and we were really seeing that I believe that the pandemic has accelerated um, and accentuated some of the issues that I've been working on and talking about for a really, really long time, and specifically um, global economic inequity and racial inequity and the impacts of colonization. Um, and I always think of colonization as a marriage of racism, uh, capitalism and patriarchy that is imposed um, violently without consent. And so that, that component of patriarchy is reflected profoundly um, everywhere we look, if we're measuring by dollars and cents, but that becomes exponentially more clear when we look um, to, to more impoverished communities and more impoverished nations. And so, you know, I think it's always really good to look in both directions when we're evaluating ourselves um, because there are, you know, there, there we, we can see from the global figures of how much additional wealth has been garnered 
by those who are pre-existing billionaires before we went into this pandemic. The last time I checked, it was 234 billion um, has been acquired. However, that was a few months ago, and I know that that number has risen. Um, and that money is coming from somewhere. And it's mm -hmm. coming off, you know, off the paychecks, unpaid labor of garment workers in, in Southeast Asia and in uh, the Global South. Um, and predominantly so many of the job losses um, and the hardships have, it, you know, very demonstratedly fallen on women. And I think this is a time like we are we are collectively in this together. And this is a time to be really courageous and acknowledge that these systems that we've been operating within are unjust and unsustainable and are not conducive to living in a way that human beings, you know, should with dignity and respect. And so um, my heart really, you know, I felt a lot of grief this year um, thinking about the domestic abuse and the reality that that, that that exists in every country of the world. And that is absolutely symptomatic of, of patriarchy, which is essential to colonization. Um, and then going, you know, we, then we just take it and we look at all of the, the layers of the impacts of colonization and we can see it in our own communities. And then when we look at it from a global stage, it becomes a really staggering um, reality. And I, I hope that this experience as challenging as it has been has forced people to acknowledge that and regard it and recognize that we actually don't want to return to the normal mm -hmm. that we mm -hmm. lived in before this it was tolerable for some but unbearable for most and we need to create something different going forward mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah well said and do you think and I, i've been asking that question to you know to many women on on, on this show and um are we going to go back to, you know, that normal, like, you know, I think many of us are in agreement that the the normal, what we used to consider normal is not working or the system is broken and COVID has helped shed a, a spotlight on, on many of those issues. But the risk is also that we fall back into old patterns and don't address the, the, the systemic, uh, you know, issues that, that need to be fixed. And what do you think is going to be important so that this stays top of mind and we we commit to continuing to do the work and not just falling back in our old way of doing and being. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't think we can go back. I think, you know, I, this is something we talk about often when, when addressing colonization and decolonization and there is no way ever to erase the past. Um, we can try to bury it, uh, but <laughs> You know what happens when you bury seeds <laughs> they grow they so grow. Yes. um you know i think we are all profoundly challenged changed from this time and i just think back to last summer um when we were supposed to be in these lockdowns and in the wake of george floyd's murder um hundreds of thousands of people took to the street across turtle island to demand justice you know and i i'm seeing a groundswell of refusal to be complicit with systems that are inherently inequitable and violent against people of color um, women and non-binary people and the poor and so i you know witnessing what i've witnessed there's no way we can really undo the awakening the disillusionment that has come you know into a critical consciousness of humanity that this is no longer tolerable i think the the main issue is do we like are we able to put pressure um build build collaborations build 
connection and strategy to ensure that policy follows, to ensure mm -hmm. that systemic change follows. And that's where I really hope um, that rather than retreating inwards, people reach out um, and talk and build relationships and find ways to enact solidarity so that we can create lasting, sustainable change in ways that, you know, are as graceful as possible. And that, that being said, um, tr destruction and transformation is necessary for, for growth mm -hmm. and transcendence. So I've been really, you know, leaning on my medicines, leaning on my prayers, um, leaning on my teachings, and at the same time, holding the faith that this process, this um, experience that we're in collectively right now is what's meant to happen to create the change that's necessary. Mm, yes, and I, I mean, I got goosebumps as you were saying that because that would be that that's the hope right that this is this is the reason this destructive process has has taken place and and i think this is where um you know women such as yourself uh, who are doing uh you know raising awareness doing the advocacy work speaking up um that's where the work is you know more than more important than, than ever and I want to talk about your work a little bit, and I think some of our listeners, you know, may may know you or may not know everything that that you do. Um, and one question I had for you around your work was the the tools for advocacy. And I want to bring the conversation a bit to social media. And I think one of the the changes that we've seen, and this might be one of the positives, and probably part of that destructive process that that you were just talking about, is we're you know ever since the uh, the 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 murder of George Floyd, which kind of began that wave of um, uh, rising consciousness around you know the, the racial inequity in our world, and uh, people took to social media to talk about it, right? And many advocates like like you are you know are using social platforms to really amplify that message. But I do believe social media is both a blessing and a curse. We can also see how it. Um, uh, amplifies uh, any type of inequity and any type of gender and racial bias as well. So where do we go from here? What are tools that work for you? And how do you approach your work um, with those platforms that are available to you? There's a ton. I just brought up a ton of things in the same question, but curious to hear you hear you talk about that, your work and the, and the tools that make sense for you. Yeah, I, I just want to say like I have, um, I'm in the middle of my PhD at this time. And so I've been in academia for a long time. Um, and I recently um, published my first book with the Royal BC Museum, um, mm -hmm. which was on the bestseller list for most of this year. And I have had, thank you, I've had the opportunity to work on um, some amazing film projects and media projects, one of which was uh, Viceland's Rise, which won the National or the Canadian Screen Guild award for best documentary in 2017 and I still have incredible imposter syndrome about all of those things um, because <laughs> because all of those you know the kind of the way that I approach my work is cause driven so mm -hmm. I look at like what what urgently needs to be addressed where do people need allyship what how can I use my privilege how can I use my voice to amplify and uphold those who are struggling um, and so my kind of work mantra has been like by any means necessary. And so, mm -hmm. you know, prior to working on Rise, I had very little experience working in film. 
uh, prior to having the opportunity to do Spirits of the Coast with the Royal BC Museum. I had never worked on a book project like that, you know, and um, with my PhD, you know, all the time I, I have to struggle with my own sense of um, inequity and, or like, it, you know, internalized um, self-defeating narratives. So, mm. um, yeah, I think um, when, I, when I talk about myself as a media maker, it's been like a guerrilla process and I've mm -hmm. learned as I've gone um, and when I see that, you know, something's going on and the best way to communicate about it would be through film, then I figure out how to do that. And mm -hmm. if it's, th you know, if it's through a podcast, then I figure out how to do that. And if it's through a book, then I figure out how to do that. And I, you know, I don't think of myself as an expert in any of those areas. I'm really, you know, learning and, and utilizing whatever tools are available um, in order to accomplish the aims. So for me, it's very seldom about the tools and it's always about the aims and the, the core outcomes and objectives. Um, and that being said, you know, I've grown up with social media. Um, like I remember Facebook went live my first year in my undergrad. Um, mm. You know, I, I joined Instagram during Idle No More um, because it was such an effective tool, tool for, for organizing. Um, and so I've grown up, you know, into my adulthood and into my identity as social media has grown and become such a huge factor in society and in our culture. And I've also grown into my activism with those tools. And I've, I definitely um, often need to take time and take a pause and reevaluate how I'm utilizing those tools, what the implications of that are for me and create new boundaries around whether or not those are healthy relationships. And I think, you know, it would be um, irresponsible of me not to mention, because a lot of my um, doctoral research is around media and race, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. to really name that the landscapes of the tools that we use with social media are not neutral at all. M you know, at one time the internet was a free space, at one time there was neutrality, and that is no longer the case. And so mm -hmm. embedded within the AI systems that manage what we see, what ads are targeted towards us, how our algorithms work, we also have the type of Jim Crow style um, prejudice that existed in legislation and mm -hmm. internalized into those um, programs. And so there is implicit and invisible racism that exists through rampantly throughout the internet and especially within algorithms on social media. Um, and those algorithms also exist to serve many other purposes, such as really working on our instincts as human beings, where we react to things that are polarizing and, you know, either really, really elicit good feelings or really elicit bad feelings. And so what we get on um, our, our news feeds are these like hyper accentuated reflections of reality and if we respond to that as though it's our real reality we create that type of reality in our lives and so i really i'm you know i utilize these tools um and i value them for what they're they're capable of in facilitating my aims and my objectives however i i know that they're not neutral i know that mm -hmm. they're not uh, anti-racist um and i really hope for everyone who utilizes those tools that they have a similar um, awareness around that and also an understanding that what they see of people on social media is not who they are it's a facade mm -hmm. it's a representation it's a curated um, presentation but i really hope that people um, 
bring more compassion to the way that they engage with people on social media and bring more compassion to themselves with the way they evaluate themselves against what they see on the newsfeed because it is definitely a tool that really plays on some of our least mature and least uh, enlightened tendencies as human beings. Um, and that being said, you know, we can learn from these tools and we can create new ones. We, you know, we can take the good and we can grow um, and we can create um, platforms and programs that facilitate the best of our, our tendencies as human beings and the best of our kind of core instinctual drives. So I'm hopeful, I am optimistically hopeful about the way that I utilize those tools and I love that it allows me to connect with people um, such as yourself and, um, and across generations as well, but I also really, I bring my anti, um, my anti-racist and decolonial critical analysis to those tools and I'm constantly having to reorient how I utilize them and how I subvert the algorithms and echo chambers that I'm being plopped into. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners who can provide education, financing, mentorship, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. It always amazes me that it's the it's the women who have you know who are always the most accomplished and and the most driven and whose voice is is so important topic that you know then suffer from what we call imposter syndrome which is a whole other conversation and then you know we know that there's so many men going around the world with that confidence of you know that does that doesn't come from very much so um and and, and what you bring up as well, I think we've started, you know, we've started seeing, I'm thinking of Google employees who have been going out to media recently after, you know, quitting because they raised the alarm bell internally about what, what was going on in terms of gender or racial bias when it comes to, uh, you know, programming and, and, and data in general. And I think we're, we're, we're starting to scratch the surface and see what's really underneath, right? I want to um, also talk, and we'll, we'll, I want to come back to uh, your work around decolonization specifically, but uh, to me there's a link we can't ignore uh, between um, gender inequity, racial inequity, and the harm we're doing to the planet. Um, and you've been called, you've been crowned the Queen of Green by David Suzuki, and if David says it, uh, it means a lot. So for, for your work um, around raising awareness for uh, the, the climate crisis and the importance of environment conservation, um, what does that look like for you these days? What's most alarming? And why is it so important that we have women leaders who are leading the charge when it comes to, uh, again, sounding the alarm bell and really um, trying to, to fix our our relationship with the planet, which at this point we have to address or we're just not going to be around anymore to have the conversation. Yeah, I, you know, um, I was so honored to have the opportunity to work with David Suzuki and work with the foundation. Um, 
And I inherited the title of Queen of Green um, from uh, the original Queen of Green who created that that title. And I, I was in that position for uh, during her maternity leave. And um, I am not someone who really buys into hy like hierarchy or um, <laughs> monarchy. So taking that title was a little bit, you know, uh, ironic for me because I'm always trying to, uh, you know, deconstruct hierarchical systems of power and build more mm -hmm. equitable ones. Um, and also, you know, I think there is there has been a really interesting strategic um, targeting of women for environmentalism and to enact, you know, sustainability practices in a way that in the same way women are expected to clean the house, we're also mm -hmm. somehow expected to be the ones to clean up this big mess um, <laughs> on our mm -hmm. planet. Um, and there's not like I don't see the same type of appealing and like marketing to men it's around true. like their the, the necessity that they um take up leadership roles in environmentalism and so i actually during my time at mm -hmm. the david suzuki foundation had a lot of conversations with them about changing the name of that title because i want to talk to everyone i want to talk mm -hmm. to non-binary people i want to talk to trans people i want to talk to cis folks and I want to talk to everyone we are all implicated here we mm -hmm. all need to step up and find the ways in which we're going to stand in leadership roles and when we look at our global situation like that is what necess is necessitated we are all needed at this time we are in like a time of global crisis and I think this pandemic is a profound reflection of that that the resiliency uh, that we should have that should be part of any healthy ecosystem is profoundly diminished and we are we've made ourselves so vulnerable by living in ways that are so incredibly desecrating and disrespectful to the laws of nature and we can mm -hmm. you know we can attempt to ignore them as much as we want it doesn't matter these are the laws of that the systems that have created us and have sustained us and so you know we can we can wait until we don't have a choice or we can start opting in in ways that are meaningful and conducive to our own healing because I truly believe we cannot heal ourselves in a sick landscape and I do not think that you can be participant and active in healing the, the landscape around you and the, the earth around you without also healing yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a, <laughs> that's a little bit about that. Um, and I, I think though, you know, I, that all being said, this is a time where I see women rising and, tr you know, transcending to a new level of consciousness that refuses to be pit, um, to pit human issues against the earth, refuses mm -hmm. to allow themselves to be pit against other women. Um, I feel like I've really, over the last decade, seen um, in my peers and my aunties and my little sisters, I've seen just a profound shift in the way that women um, operate with, with themselves and with each other. And I do believe that it will be matriarchy rising um, mm. that leads the way for this profound healing that needs to occur. Mm. Yeah, and it, it's interesting what you brought up. It's true, there is that expectation. It's like that that responsibility being placed on women to come in and save the day when it comes to the environment. And I feel like the responsibilities also place. I, I read recently, and I think this was a case of somebody try, with a good intention, um, and the statement was something like, we need indigenous communities to take on or tackle the challenge of uh, the climate crisis. 
And it's, well, I mean, I agree with the idea that, um, you know, traditionally indigenous culture has that deep respect for, for land and for planet Earth. But why is it up to indigenous communities to clean up the mess today? Like there's, no. <laughs> there's just something and it's the same logic with women. Yeah. And I, I mean, just to say, like, th this is a podcast, so you can't all see my face right now, but I am <laughs> biting my tongue and shaking my head um, because up until this point, 80% of the world's biodiversity has been protected by Indigenous people who continue to hold it down and continue mm -hmm. to put their bodies and their communities and their entire lives on the line to protect what remains intact of global ecosystems, which provide our essential life-giving services to everyone on this planet. You know, mm -hmm. if you drank water today, if you breathed clean air, if you ate anything that came from the ground or from an animal, you have Indigenous nations to thank. Because if it hadn't been for the incredible frontline activism and inc like incredible advocacy from everywhere from the United Nations to, you know, Congress um, of Indigenous people refusing to have their homelands absolutely destroyed by industry, um, we would be in a much worse place. And so I think it's really time for people to look at, you know, those who have an inherited wealth and privilege that has come specifically from the theft of land and the genocide of peoples and start to really step into accountability and reparation for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and I also don't think it's, you know, I think that the way that um, people have been operating as though we are distinct and separate from our landscape has caused so yeah. much social and you know individual um, maladaptation. There's you know there's so much mental health problems. There's so many problems within relationship within family. There's mm -hmm. so much isolation um, in you know develop like, quote unquote developed society. And I think mm -hmm. so much of that comes from a disconnection from land, a disconnection from self and a complete degradation of community fa fabric. Mm, I, I agree, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, I, I was also reading recently, like the, the nuance between realizing that, you know, we are part, we, we, we are part of the land. We don't, we can't own the land. We're part of planet earth. And it's the same, I think we, we Unfortunately, often the, the point of view in our modern society is also we approach all resources the same way, right? It's about ownership, not belonging. Um, and uh, I agree with you, most of our problems stem from there. Um, which brings me to ask you about decolonization, which I know is a, a big part of your of your work. And it's also a concept that I think for uh, for a lot of white people, at least it's hard to come at come around, you know, what does that mean? And what, what role can we, can we play in uh, dismantling the colonization and, and really beginning the work of decolonization? Um, where's a good place to start? How would you summarize decolonization work? And I know it's, uh, unfortunately, I, I, we're always kind of asking of indigenous people and advocates to educate us and, and give us a path, but since we are having the conversation, I'd love to just get your thoughts on a good starting point. Yeah, I, I appreciate the question. Um, and I really, I, you know, I choose to do the work that I do with the entry point of colonization and decolonization because decolonization is for everyone. Like decolonization, the story and the impacts um, of colonization 
implicate all of us. That it's not a conversation um, that's a, like that's meant to be leaded or taken up by Indigenous people. Indigenous people can do the work of indigenization. They can do mm-hmm. the work of cultural revitalization. They can do, you know, what like they could focus on Indigenous joy. <laughs> How about yeah. that? Whereas like this work of decolonization, I believe, is especially work for people who come from settler lineages and who, you know, I think in many ways have lost a lot of what it means to be human beings and what it means Mm -hmm. to live a good and fulfilling life as human beings. And that's why we see ourselves in this place where rampant capitalism to consume things that nobody needs and that are just gonna end up in the ocean or in landfills, leaching toxic chemicals, are driving the destruction of that which gives us life you know so um, when we look at colonization it's an accessible entry point into understanding recent global history to evaluate and kind of um, declinate how we got to where we are right now and it encapsulates things like capitalism like patriarchy like systemic racism like extractivism and um, I think that you know, the ways that we utilize it through Decolonize Together, which is the consultancy that I, um, I operate with other um, Indigenous and Black women, um, really allows for us to, like, figure out where we are and, like, what the next steps are to do that work. And I really want to say, you know, over the last year, we've, we've had so much, um, so much richness come into our work because we've had an opportunity finally to really unite Indigenous and Black issues. And and when we look at colonization as a framework, the fundamental fuel that drove colonization was the theft of Black people from their homelands in Africa to be labor, to be free labor, and then the genocide and land theft of Indigenous peoples of multiple territories around the world, you know, to, to extract from that land. So we have like, that lineage of what were initially indigenous people from Africa being stolen um, as part of the project of colonization and then the genocide and the erasure and the land theft um, in the lands that were then set to be colonized. And so we really cannot talk about decolonization without addressing you know, anti-indigenous and anti-black racism. And that's the heart of like where we need to start. We need to look at the systems, the colonial systems that we've inherited and recognize that they are not broken. They were designed this way. Yes. And that if we want something different, we need to create entirely new systems. And I'm really, you know, from a very personal place, I'm really sick and tired of um, the competing narratives of, you know, um, so it's like quote unquote minorities or oppressed people. When we do the work ourselves of understanding our own colonial histories and our own work in decolonization, it becomes so clear <laughs> what the what the sources of our oppression are and who our brothers and sisters and relations in a work towards liberation are. And that mm-hmm. way we can really work together to uphold the liberation uh, that we want to see for our own communities and the, that we want to see for everyone. And so I really, you know, I really uphold um, the transformative uh, power that is available when we start to understand our own histories, our place within it, how it connects us um, to like our land, um, you know, other other people and other communities, and we can start to actually stop the grinding wheel of progress and actually ask ourselves like, 
who we are and where we want to go, what we want, what legacy we want to leave um, for the future generations. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. Uh, thank you for that insightful uh, answer. And there, there, there was there was so much great uh, feedback and ideas in there. I mean, I want to go back to and, and kind of connecting to a few of the elements you brought up. How can we live more in respect on, on a day to day basis? Right. How can we live more in respect of our planet and the people that live on the planet? What What's one place you wish people would start? That's a big question, Eva. <laughs> um, no pressure. <laughs> you know, I think that you actually already really nailed it about really understanding that we are not distinct from this global ecosystem, right? That we cannot remove ourselves from it in order to examine it. We are of it. Um, and the humility that comes along with recognizing like what we have been given. We have been given this unbelievable planet with incredible biodiversity. You know, I think about like, I love biodiversity. So, you know, whenever I'm feeling depressed, um, it's like octopus videos on Instagram yes. or reading about how slugs are like, basically they have their own like pheromone uh, Facebook that they leave behind in their goo trails and you know everything like biodiversity it takes me like three minutes of learning about a creature that um, inspires me to like have faith and hope in the, <laughs> the trajectory of our species or at least the trajectory of the earth um, and so I think you know taking some time every day to be in awe with what we've been given we live on a planet where you know when when rain falls at the right um, at the right angle and the sun is shining, we get water or we get rainbows and we mm -hmm. live in a planet where like there's such thing as the Aurora Borealis and they come out and dance for you and you sing to them. You know, we like, there are like sloths have evolved <laughs> to survive <laughs> by being slow, uh, you know, through this like incredible process of evolution. And so I think coming to it with wonder, coming mm -hmm. to it with gratitude, is essential it is it is a scary time um and it and it can feel really paralyzing and um heavy to mm -hmm. sit and just like really take stock of where we are and what we have ahead of us and the uncertainty that 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 um reality holds and the the suffering that has already you know really been impacted by by climate impacts um so i think like really rerouting in this knowing that we are of we are of mm. this like landscape we are of this place we are of this earth we do deserve to be we here we have a right to be here just as much as any other living creature or plant or you know geographical form um and like we can fall in love with it again and again and that can be the source of energy that fuels us to do our work to save it and to help rebalance our systems. We are not, you know, we've gotten really off track as a species. We've been abiding by some really problematic value systems, but we are not inherently destructive. We have, we are still here. We have existed for millennia um, in harmony. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I mean, that's another reason why I look at colonization as a, like a very significant point of, you know, human human um, 
endeavors that have rapidly caused uh, such extreme destruction on our planet. But we can change the story. We can change the the terms, and we can work in a different direction um, that would create an entirely new reality for us. And I think that's the other thing that is so profound and so beautiful, um, and often completely ignored, is that we are also spiritual beings, mm-hmm. and we have incredible power um, to create our realities. We have incredible power for transcendence, and we need to operate as though we are, you know spiritual beings as well as physical beings because that spiritual dimension has been so neglected and desecrated um, over the past 500 years and a lot of that I believe is is very uh, fundamental to why we find ourselves in this in this place of climate crisis and environmental um, destruction mm-hmm. yes I mean that I think that last answer could have been the entire podcast conversation. Like you just <laughs> summed it all up so beautifully. And you also answered what was going to be my my next question around when you need to ground and to uh, take a mental break from, you know, the, the pressures of uh, fighting the good fight, right? What What's one thing that you turn to? And I would assume now based on, on this answer that part of it is connecting with nature and also correct, connecting with your spiritual being. Yeah, I like I this is a topic that I love, so I'll just like pause on it for a second because I know not all of us like have access um to wild nature or green space. Um, but there's still a lot of ways that we can attune ourselves. So just mm-hmm. really quick so that people have some little tools to take home and try out um cold water and, and water in general is a profound tool for reconnecting. Um I like I find that when I'm you know, really struggling emotionally or feeling disconnected or feeling um, kind of numb in my own body. Cold water is something that I, I utilize to really bring my spirit back into my body and to build courage, right? It takes courage um, to be in our body in discomfort. So cold water, hot water is also, you know, it's like returning to the womb. It's such mm-hmm. a beautiful, um, it's such a beautiful place to be when you need to feel nourished and held and supported. Um, and even just like spending time with water, practicing, you know, gratitude for water because it, it connects all of us, every life form on earth, um, you know, is, is reliant on water. And so when we meditate with water, we sing to water, we're also sending that vibration out to everything that we're, you know, that we're in relationship with on this planet. Um, another one is like the, the the land right the the ground as much as you can if you're feeling um, stressed and anxious and just out of harmony getting barefooted on the land is is like you don't need to do it very long you don't need to walk very far but putting your feet on the sand or in the, the soil or in the grass makes a profound difference and it actually it helps to bring your homeostasis back into vibration with that of the planet um, the other is just like the sky, right? Um, I have a really awesome app on my phone. It's a moon cycle app. And yes. it really, like, I really like to just be like, you know, I, I used to be a, a wilderness guide. So I did a ton of like kayaking and where I guided in, in the Chalna territory, um, there was a 14 foot tide differential at six hour intervals. So if I didn't know the tides, I could get super like stranded or, you know, just have a complete debacle. Um, and so I, I used to know the tides like off by heart. Um, but just knowing the moon cycle, right? Like kind of knowing like, y- you know, we all have these times where it's like 
something's going crazy in our life and everywhere around us there's upheaval and like when you have the moon cycle you're like oh yeah we're we're two days out from a scorpio supermoon this makes mm, sense yes. and the same that one was powerful <laughs> yeah oh the last ones have been so powerful um and the same with the new moon you know like recognizing it's the beginning of a new cycle and you know for um for folks who menstruate that's that's a gift that we have embedded in our bodies um is those cycles that are attuned that are attuned with the water that are attuned with the moon that are attuned with our planetary alignment and so um those are all things that you can draw on to be grounded and in harmony um mm. And so those are those are things that I, you know, rely on often. And even too, like I, if whenever there's like big weather, whenever there's like big winds or big rains or thunder and lightning, you know, just go out, like get whether it's like on the roof of your apartment building or just in your like get out there and like, like if it's like storming, like scream with it, like get what you yeah. need to get out of your body out. If you know and like and then ask it, like ask it to help you let go of what you don't need and charge up like charge up in that, like, and just be in awe. Again, I think, you know, um, awe is a really good place to be uh, dwelling into for resiliency and for mm -hmm. refueling ourselves to do the work that can sometimes feel like too much to bear. And so remember that you don't have to do it alone. You are part of this magnificent creation and you can, you can ask for assistance from that and charge up from those things. So there's so many ways to be connected, um, even when you're, you know, when you're not um, in, in the wilderness or, yeah, I, I learned after living in Toronto for a year that I needed to get creative <laughs> with how to stay oh, yeah. uh, in tune with my, with my, you know, beautiful planet that, that made me and that sustains me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard when we spend our days between four walls of drywall and cement and, you know, and the, the there's not so much green and, and blue sky around us, but we can find mm -hmm. it. Those, the, those were great tips. Um, and my, my last question, which I always end these conversations with is, is there something you wish women would do more of or less of? And I've recently kind of rephrased it because and somebody brought up a, the very valid point that we're always asking women to do more of. So maybe it's it's time to do less. But what what would come to mind for you? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, and I love that you've amended it to, um, you know, be a permission to do less or to jump into something more. Uh, like I said earlier, just you know, the the recognition that I've seen um, in my sisters and my aunties over the last decade. Um, I see this profound transformation with women where we've kind of gotten to a collective consciousness where we refuse to participate in the terms that patriarchy has set out for us. You know, we refuse to be evaluate, we, we refuse to evaluate ourselves by those standards. We refuse to engage with each other in the false pretenses that have been set up for each other as though we are each other's competition or each other's adversary or that life is a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, if I had one wish for all of my sisters, it would just be that they would give themselves full permission to like unashamedly love themselves and accept themselves um, and give themselves permission to, you know, be exactly what they are when they are, as well as like taking that love and acceptance and just like spreading it everywhere they can, you know, because when we when we look at each other and we celebrate each other's brilliance, we celebrate each other's beauty and like resiliency and kindness and like strength <laughs> holy crap like it is such i i have felt um 
you know, in my own practice with this, wherever I see myself like going into competition, whenever I see myself going into scarcity, whenever I see any of those old, like tired patriarchal scripts coming back up in my head, doing the absolute opposite. So, mm -hmm. you know, if I meet like a young woman who is like beautiful and brilliant and ambitious, rather than, you know, participating in the kind of toxic, competitive um, discourse that's been fed to us um, as women, like through all of our media, through all of our socialization, all those things, doing the absolute opposite and saying like, this is like a beautiful person that I'm going to support and I'm going to uphold and I'm, you know, and I'm going to have compassion because it's hard to be a woman in what a white supremacist patriarch colonial reality. It's hard. We experience mm -hmm. so much violence. We experience so much victimization. We talked about the amount of domestic violence that has risen since the onset of the pandemic. Today is the beginning of a week of action for missing and murdered Indigenous women, mm -hmm. which, you know, the numbers continue to rise um, in Canada and the US and in Mexico and in every country in the world. Um, and so it is hard to be a woman. We know you know our own stories and we can like we can bet that everyone else is carrying those same burdens of trauma of violence of victimization of healing and so what does it look like to really really love each other and celebrate celebrate our beauty and our brilliance and have that be a collective strength that we hold mm -hmm. on to with pride that empowers us that fuels us forward and when you start to operate in that way as a as a woman um what you attract towards you and what you create and the relationships that you create are some of the most like profound and enduring uh, gifts that you could have ever imagined. And I feel, I just want to say thank you to all the women in my life. Um, and they know who they are um, for that because it is, it truly is those, those women who give me hope, who, you know, like get me out of bed when I feel mm -hmm. defeated, who, you know, they light my fire and they keep me going. And so I want that for absolutely every woman on earth. Mm. Well, that makes me want to say thank you to you because just hearing that, which was absolutely beautiful, and it gives me hope that together as women we can we can make the change happen, right? And we can create this uh, abundance for for ourselves all all together as a community. And you summed that up so perfectly and so beautifully. I don't even want to add anything. Um, thank you so much, Nikki. It was absolutely a pleasure. I could keep talking to you for, for a few more hours, which we can do off podcast. But um, I'm so grateful that you took the time to, uh, to chat with me for this conversation. Yeah, it's just an absolute pleasure to be in conversation with you and to everyone listening. Uh, thank you. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for the support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest. Yeah.